Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss crafting, public shaming, and Fallout 4. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Tomorrow with Joshua Topolsky, which is who's me, uh, is brought to you by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is a low-cost automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. It works 24-7. That's, by the way, in case you're wondering, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To manage your portfolio, keeping it diversified, customized to your risk profile, which for me would be very high risk, and optimizing its trading behavior to keep your tax bill low, all without ever charging commissions. Whether you've got millions or billions or you're just starting out, Wealthfront is the most sophisticated way to invest your money. To sign up and get your free personalized investment portfolio, go to Wealthfront.com slash tomorrow. Are you a tech professional searching for a new company to share your tech skills with? I mean, or any skills? Then you should check out Hired. Hired connects talent with top tech companies. On Hired, software engineers and designers can get five-plus interview requests in a week. And since they work with over 2,500 companies from startups to large public companies and employers from 12 major tech hubs in North America and Europe, you're bound to find the right position for you. If you use our special link, Hired.com slash podcast to sign up, they'll double the bonus that you get when you accept a job. That's right. They'll double the $2,000 thank you bonus they normally give out when you sign up at Hired.com slash podcast. So that's $4,000 of sweet, sweet thank you money. If you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus when they accept a job too. So what are you waiting for? I mean, seriously, like what are you doing that's so important that you can't check out Hired.com slash Tomorrow Podcast right now? The answer, by the way, to that question is nothing. My guest today is a controversial figure on the internet, a divisive man. Is divisive the right word? I think it is. Divisive, polarizing. Polarizing. A man who's been described to some as the most hated person to ever have lived. <laughs> that man is Sam Biddle, a writer at Gawker. Are you, you're just a writer? What is your title? Senior writer. Senior writer. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Senior writer at Gawker.com. Sam, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, I should say that Sam and I are at a remote country estate near Hudson, New York, uh, with a group of people, a group of friends. And I've stolen Sam away uh, to uh, to interview him. Finally. For f- yes. Well, listen, I, and I said this before, before we were recording, I would have invited you on the podcast at some point. I'm working my way through people. Uh, you're just very low on the list. I'm, I'm very, yeah, well, you ran out of people in the Rolodex. And very low I, priority name as far as up. I'm concerned. No, um, I actually want to talk to you about a, a number of things, but what I'm most excited about is at some point we're going to talk about Fallout 4 which you've told me you're playing. I, I would rather be playing it right now. I, I think that to... I think that goes for, for everyone who's playing Fallout 4. And I can certainly say that I spend most of my days now thinking about getting back into the world of we, Fallout We're 4. in a gorgeous part of New York State. And right now I'm thinking about playing <laughs> One of the most beautiful places. Fallout 4. One of the most beautiful places in the world. Yes. Let, but let's, before we get into that, because not everybody, people may not know who you are. I mean, it's possible. They probably don't. It's possible there's like a couple of people who, who don't, aren't aware of your work. Um... You started as a as an intern at Gizmodo. That's correct. What year did you start? 2010. 
So let's see. I was I was still uh, the editor in chief of Engadget. That's at that right. point. we we were uh, we were rivals, and we were rivals, and there was a heated, uh, a violent um, competition. That's ex- between, I mean, really between Gizmodo and Engadget. It's funny now to look back on it and think about it because it seems so silly in retrospect. I think about it a lot. I, th- I think about you being this. <laughs> This, this sort of Mussolini figure. Oh, I, don't, really? I don't know why that was the first. Really, Mussolini? Di- di- I, I don't know why that was just the first, uh, the first uh, fascist I could think of. But this. Tell me villain, what it was like. I have no idea. Villain. Tell me what it was like inside. Well, because this is, I've never heard this. before. The only rivalry uh, that mattered. Well, the only competitor that mattered to us was Engadget. This, yeah. this was pre-Verge. This was. Yeah. This uh, was, it was. Gizmodo. The internet was totally different. Right. Actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying because of the Verge, but like. It just was a different time. Blogging was had just starting to really turn into something right. that seemed You more, could make money. Yeah, and it seemed more real, and people were taking it seriously. And I think gadget blogging was also still growing. Like yeah. there, there was still a lot of uh, turf to conquer. Yeah. And so we were, we, were, uh, we, we were head-to-head, and you guys were the bad guys. Like, we, you know, it was like, if we get beat by Engadget on this thing, we, we blew it. Like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a Yankees Red Sox I think the, thing to us at least. I don't know. For all I know, you guys I think didn't the, care the about it at all. Was, I mean, we cared. <laughs> we cared when we. Re- I think when it really mattered was like when we were covering big events. Oh, exactly. And we'd yep. be like watching you guys, and it'd be like who got what story up first, and you know if if you know you guys used to have somewhere that we could see your traffic. I can't remember if it was like you had like a chart beat or you guys were doing you, something. You were logged into our chart beat? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I remember somewhere on Gawker there was like, here's our traffic. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's changed a lot. And there uh, was some place where I remember you could look and it would show like how you fared on certain days or something. And yeah. we, I remember like looking at that like during CES, uh, looking at like CES days right. and going like, oh God, they, you know, like, look, they did, you know, X million more <laughs> here. Whatever the numbers were, I don't mm-hmm. really remember. Um, we you know, we thought about Gizmodo. We definitely thought about it. I mean, when I got to, when I went to Engadget, that was like really bad, you know, because Ryan Block was the right. editor in chief and the godfather a, of tech blogging. Yeah, the godfather. It's exactly how I, it's exactly how I would <laughs> categorize him. No, but you know, he and Peter Ross, had, I mean, Peter Ross founded Gizmodo and then went and founded Engadget. And I, yeah, he, Peter definitely is like the creator of gadget blogging yeah. as we know it, you know, and, um, and Ryan, you know, worked in the very early days on Engadget with him. Did he work at Gizmodo? I don't think he did. Ryan? Yeah, I thought he did. Only, maybe he did. Maybe he did. That, that would have been before my... Yeah, before, long before, before our... And this is our very early... This is, you know, early 2000s, mid-2000s. At any rate, uh, I remember getting there, and yeah, that was heated. Like, because Brian... Was Brian at Gizmodo, Brian Lamb, when yeah, you were there? He was. he was the boss okay, when, right. I, when I arrived. So, so Brian and Ryan... <laughs> had were definitely like rivals they were also guys who like when i would go to san francisco to to see ryan we would like go get dinner and brian would show up and it was this weird thing where they were really nice to each other in person but then definitely had some kind of rivalry of course they were at each other's throats like on their respective teams right right um yeah no i mean i think we used to get bent out of shape about really funny things with Gizmodo. You would like crop a watermark out of a picture or something, <laughs> and I'd have to send an email to somebody oh, to like Brian, and I'd be like, "What's up with this man?" The pissy emails exchanged yeah. across uh, yeah. lines were were definitely part of the. It was great. So, history. so you came in as an intern. Now, what did an intern do in the early days of Gizmodo? Uh, an intern at Gizmodo. Uh, well, what I was doing at Gizmodo was to be staring into this infinite void of RSS feeds all day looking for oh so you were like reading the news material yeah but okay. i mean not just the news like really plumbing the depths of uh of of potential virality so I what just, did you guys use like google reader i don't 
probably I know I was using something that I think is now defunct, like like RSS Galaxy Net Newswire. Oh yeah, Net Net Newswire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you, there was this there was this RSS file that was handed down to the OPML. Yes. Yeah, we had the same thing. That was that that it was like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox, and it was so poorly organized Uh because every person who got it sort of made their own changes that made sense to them, but was completely opaque to whoever got it next, and I had to deal with that. That's interesting because because I think and I think this actually kind of um, perfectly like sums up some of the differences between Gizmodo and Engadget. We had this immaculately curated, hand curated OPML <laughs> that we had like highly categorized and we and like you it was a shared like only there was only one master OPML right. that was shared for anybody who was doing news, like anybody right. who was like looking for stories. Right. And we like painstakingly curated it and worked on it and there were always like there were like every few months you do these revisions where somebody's like oh these feeds are dead and we're putting these new feeds in and these things aren't relevant anymore like we're taking fark out remember fark yes of course is fark still around yes and i think i think he's either the guy is either running for governor or is uh, an elected official of uh, uh, drew curtis was that was his name right the guy who founded that is that is that who founded fark yeah well that's very that should be very worrying to all of us (laughs) But yeah, Fark was in there. We never called anything. You just left it all. Oh, yeah. You let just deal with it. Yep. Well, let this be a lesson to you. Uh, two different approaches. Two different approaches <laughs> can yield can both can yield great results. Different results. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I hear downstairs Zelda is here, and I hear her screaming. Enjoy, I believe. She hears you talking about Engadget. And She's like, I love Engadget. That was my favorite gadget <laughs> blog. But on the side, she read Gizmodo. Yeah. One of the things I discovered, I actually thought was really interesting. Um, there's definitely some screaming going on downstairs. Is that like when we started The Verge, I watched The Verge grow in traffic and then also saw Engadget, which we'd a bunch of people had left, and Gizmodo sustain and grow traffic. It was like a really interesting lesson. Like you you think like, oh yeah, with these rivalries, you think like people are like, oh, it's Gizmodo or Engadget. The truth is that all of the readers of Gizmodo were also the readers of Engadget. And like there wasn't really, the competition was basically just to, grow faster right. because they were both growing at a, the a, a truth very was, similar pace. It, it was people reading on their lunch break, maybe. They had... Board of Work Network. Yeah, yeah they, they, the original they had, Board of Work Network. Sure. They, and they had some spare time and they would load up Gizmodo. They'd scan it for 30 seconds. They'd load up Engadget. They'd scan it and then they'd go to The Verge. You know, yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I remember how I used to read these sites before I worked at one. And yeah, you, 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 you would read them all. It was tell, never a one or the other. Tell me choice. about the tell me about the pre intern Gizmodo pre intern at Gizmodo Sam Biddle. Oh, uh, I, you I were mean, were you a nerdy? Were you very nerdy? I was I was always a a geek oriented kid. I mean, mm-hmm. I I love putting together my own computers, and mm-hmm. I read. Oh, you know, wow. I read these sites. The reason I wanted to work. Oh, at you Gizmodo really were a nerd. Was, yeah, it was because I wanted. I read it. <laughs> I read it every day in college. Gizmodo and Engadget and those sites. And right. Did, did you apply? For, did you apply for a job at Engadget? Uh, you know, I don't think. You know, I I don't remember it. I remember I, the reason I remember applying for the one at Gizmodo is because after I got hired, I went back through the intern application inbox yeah. and found my application that had just never been read. Oh, uh, really? So yeah, which was, which, was, which was great. We had a, <laughs> yeah, we had a similar... I remember when I became editor-in-chief of Engadget, I finally got access to like our hiring stuff right. and these hiring email. Because we used to literally... I mean, the way we hired people was we would set up like an open call We'd be yeah. like, hey, we're looking for so-and-so. There was no application to fill sure. out. We were like, answer these four questions. 
And I went back through and found all of these crazy applications. I saw, I found mine, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But I also found all these applications. We actually ended up hiring a couple of people who were like, we had this one, this one guy, his name was Jacob Schulman, who actually is like now very successful, went to business school. He was, and he was our first intern at ever at Engadget. He had written when he was like 16 and he was like, I really want to work there. And we're like at AOL, you couldn't hire anybody right. who was under 18. And so for like two years, we literally talked to him for back and forth for like two years. And then finally when he turned 18, we're like, okay, you can be an intern. Right, right. And he was great. He turned out to be fantastic. And yeah, that story is a real meaningless aside. But just to say that, like, it was interesting to see, like, I mean, it was a very scrappy process. Yeah. All right. So you were a nerdy kid. You became an intern at Gizmodo. That's right. You worked there for many years. Uh, yeah, but two and a half. And then at and some point, Gawker decided, somebody at Gawker decided that they were going to reboot Valleywag. Yes. Can you explain Valleywag for those for the listeners who don't know what Valleywag, Valleywag is? Valleywag is Gawker's uh, Silicon Valley, or was Gawker's Silicon Valley startup uh, uh, gossip and news website, and it's it's been uh, alive and dead and dormant and rebooted four or five times. Is that now. true? Four but times? I I believe three, maybe three or four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you were in the what incarnation? What number? Uh, I was the latest and last. That was probably uh, maybe the fourth. And it was you by yourself? No. It was me by myself. And then uh, we hired the extremely talented Natasha Tiku, who had been at The Observer uh, covering startups, especially in the New York scene. And uh, and then she uh, she joined, and then she actually left to go to The Verge. It's just, you know, it's musical chairs. (laughs) And then then I think she left The Verge and went to to BuzzFeed. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of moving around. A lot of moving around today's uh, uh, new journalism economy. So Valleywag, the purpose of Valleywag was like, it's anti tech crunch. crunch, but it was really like a gossip rag oh, for totally. Silicon yeah. Valley. Yeah, I love the idea of an anti tech crunch. Right. By the way, just generally speaking, yeah. and actually, this is a total off topic. But I'm gonna. It's not totally off topic. I actually, for some reason, was going through. Oh, I'm gonna tell. This is a really stupid Do it. story. I'm gonna go down a really stupid. Yeah. Yesterday was Friday the 13th, which turned out to be a very horrible day because there's these horrible attacks. Uh, sorry, you guys will be hearing this on Monday, but obviously on Friday there were these terrible attacks, terrorist attacks in Paris. But earlier in the day when the shit was not hitting the fan, I was, uh, rem- I was reminded by somebody who's an editor at Engadget that I started this thing at Engadget where every Friday the 13th that happened, we would subtly insert Jason Voorhees into all of the into many of the stories that we did in photos. Yeah. So like there would be stories of like about a car and he'd be sitting in the passenger <laughs> seat or like a story about, you know, like a new laptop and he'd be in the reflection on the yeah. screen. Did you ever see any of this <laughs> yes. stuff? You, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh yeah, we used to do that." Yeah. And I was going back and I was looking through I was trying to find my posts from Friday the 13th on Engadget because I wanted to see if any of those pictures were still around. And I ended up go spelunking down this weird rabbit hole well, where I dangerous. found this thing that i basically totally forgot that had happened where when michael arrington when TechCrunch was sold to aol like michael arrington started some art like fight with me and Engadget, and no, I, I can't believe you would and ever I pick know, a fight. And I, and I remember like i remember like we were all like what is, the fuck is going on because none of us knew arrington yeah nobody had ever had an interaction with him we had no interaction with anybody tech crunch we knew no, none of those people and he had this like crazy some kind of crazy conspiracy theory about and gadget that we were like trying to destroy tech crunch or something. And I went back and I found these business insider articles where he and I are like arguing with each other in the comments <laughs> yeah. of a business insider article. He's like saying that we're like, we did something, we damaged him or we hurt him in some way. And I'm like, literally, I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about. Like just explain what you're talking. Anyhow, 
totally off topic, but sort of related to the anti tech crunch. Yeah. I mean, tech crunch. Now, look, there have been some lovely people who worked at TechCrunch. I, some of them I consider Michael friends. Arrington is, uh, uh, was not what I would say is not one of those lovely people. I would not. I don't think he's ever been described as lovely. Uh, he's a terrible dude. I mean, yeah. he's just kind of a rotten person. Yeah. And uh, and I have, you know, obviously have no love for him. But right. he's just a bad guy. He just treated people badly. And everybody, anybody who knows Michael Arrington is well aware of how well, bad he's treated It's one of these people. things where I think you can, you can choose to be uh, a prick. You can choose to be a crook. You, or, or, you know, you can be, you, you can only he chose, pick, he chose all of them. Yeah. You can only <laughs> pick so many bad traits. I mean, I get, we'll, we'll get to this in fallout four, I guess, but you can, when yeah. you're, when you're choosing That's your persona, point. it's like you, you can't be all of the yeah. op, uh, uh, oppressive foul things. I and mean, he chose them all in, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, there is an alignment that nobody can truly play correctly, which is chaotic neutral. I believe <laughs> chaotic neutral yeah. is like you are like completely unpredictable and have no allegiance to good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I would say anything. He would be chaotic evil, but right. I think it's, it's evil the alignment. I think it is, but just it, it's just at any greed. rate chaotic greedy, greedy. chaotic yeah. greedy yeah. is not an alignment you can play in Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. <laughs> but it would, it would be interesting. So anyway, so you so Valuate was started originally as the anti tech crunch, which is like a gossip brag about like people who were acting like dicks in you know, silicon valley it, it, it was bad news about silicon valley whereas TechCrunch <laughs> was like a uh it, it often operates as sort of uh like like a a middle school newsletter you know we had we had this assembly it was great the bake sale was a success right you know, right the field day is going to be really fun it's just all very rosy yeah. news it's um, like it's like it's like if the if a newspaper just did upbeat positive yes, stories right which is fine if you're, you know, of a, a local newspaper and a grocery store or a middle school uh, newsletter. But this is one of the largest. I don't know their traffic, but one of the most it popular, was at the influential. Time. Very, yes. very, very. It's still, it's still, it's still big. Red. It's still yeah. weirdly influential. Yeah. I don't know why. But they're covering uh, arguably the most important sector of the economy right now, or at least the most rapidly changing. But it's a trade. Exciting. It's basically a trade publication yes. Yes. for Silicon Valley. Yeah. But it was one that like had. Arrington had numerous conflicts of interest. Well, he was an he was an investor in the many of the, that he was and uh, many of the companies that they covered. Yeah, and and many of their writers had lots of conflicts of interest. But I think it's sort of like and it was a perfect example of some of the um, blindness and sort of like bubble reality that that the valley lives in. No one cared. Right. It was was the was the funniest part to me was that right. uh, people were like no people were like yeah so what yeah you know put a disclosure just, at the bottom. My, my my biggest one of my biggest pet peeves is this idea that if you put a disclosure at the bottom of a story, right. you somehow have like removed any possibility that you still did something right. wrong. You're just with confessing. The story. That doesn't you're mean like, it wasn't bad. Like, yeah, look, hey, look, you know what? There's a conflict. I'm just telling you right. about it. Yeah, and I think that was actually like Arrington's thing, where he was like, yeah, you know, as long as we disclose, right. it's like no, actually, they didn't even always disclose. No, they was, definitely was the fun, they the didn't really part. start they didn't really start disclosing until yeah. it got public right tell me anyhow so valley wag originally it's going to be the bad news for silicon valley it, it ended kind up of piercing the bubble speaking of errington he once described it uh and this was before this was maybe in like 08 bef- way before i i was doing it um he described valley wag as uh the al-qaeda of silicon valley and well, he was known for he was known to be hyperbolic but but i do think that there was something to that uh <laughs> you think that he, it was a terrorist organization well, I, I think it, it, it was an entity that struck fear into uh people who were used to not being afraid they could rely on uh universally positive press yeah and suddenly here was an outlet a small outlet but an outlet that was reporting bad news and bad actors and people operating in bad faith 
and it scared the shit out of a lot of people. Um, well, you know, they certainly, I, they, I mean, Silicon Valley certainly did not. They still have a problem with dealing with actual press coverage. I mean, you look at this Theranos yes. coverage and the way that has netted out and their reactions to it. Uh, some of the stuff with Am. I mean, Amazon isn't really a Valley company, but they may as well be. I mean, sure. similar idea. Uh, there is a sense amongst um, people in the Valley, I feel like, that they're like, it's like, hey, give us some space, okay? Just right. let us do our thing. You know, we're changing the world. We're dreamers. It, it's sort of the, the, the response that I think people sometimes in the music industry have where, you know, they say, well, you know, you're not a creator. You're, you're not making art. You don't right. get it. Right. You know, who are you to come in and tell me how to do my art? It's a great point. Uh, well, that's like that's like the that's like a criticism of criticism, which is really falls flat for me because it's like uh, you can have a critical thought, or you can understand something in a way that that doesn't require you to have been able to make it. Right. You can like you can report something or research something to a degree that allows you to tell a story about a a piece of art or a product or whatever that in no way relates to your to your ability to have done to have made the product especially when your product is like underpants on demand uh or, or great, is know, that a real business I, I it was or it was like a bot there was some one of the earliest posts i did on valley wag was about a uh a company that got a bunch of venture funding i, th- I think they would just mail you boxes of underwear like every month like sort of like a, a blue apron for I feel like how often do you need, I mean, I think at some point you're like, okay, I have enough underwear. I'll just wash these. What's going on in your life that you need a a constant I just need a stream of underwear coming in, okay? You know, I should, this is a good uh, opportunity for me to talk about a startup I've been thinking a lot about, which I think it's safe to say I'm not going to work on. (laughs) But if somebody, I just want to preface this by saying, if somebody takes this idea and creates a company out of it, I demand 10% of all proceeds. Sure. Which I think is very fair, frankly. Uh, The idea, the app is called Schuber. It's Uber for shoes. What you do is you point your phone's camera at your feet and you can, uh, using augmented reality, try on different pairs of shoes and then have them, have them shipped directly to your home. They wouldn't drive them to you. They I assume, no, 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 there's no drive. Well, presumably they're shipped on a, and right. they're on a truck or something. They, they, they wouldn't come within like an hour. No, they're not. Well, I mean, that could be a component. If you, if you lose Schuber, your shoes, that could be you like might Schuber, Schuber Black. <laughs> Schuber Black Schuber XL. Would, would be, yeah. Yeah, Schuber XL would be, would get your <laughs> shoes to you in less than an yeah. hour. Uh, and you know, I, I just want to say, like, I think it's, uh, it's the time has come. I think trying on shoes is time consuming and uh, so, difficult. So do it. They're two kinds of people. Do it, but somebody else can do it. But the dreamers it, and, and the yeah. haters. Well, know? I dreamed, I dreamed <laughs> and now somebody has to take my dream and turn it into reality. Right. Uh, Schubert, TM. Someone will take that. I hope they, they will. I have a lot of good ideas that I'll never execute on. So you'll be the Winklevoss of uh, of Schuber. The uh, well, no, because because I'm putting it out there. <laughs> it's almost like I'm almost saying like this is like a Git. This is like a repository. Right. My right now, this is an audio repository. You can take it, but I want to cut. That's really noble. So it's a little yeah. not totally open source. It's like <laughs> medium. Clo- what do you, what's like a thing that's half open and half closed? A, j- a jar source. A jar, yeah. A jar yeah. source. Yeah. Okay, anyhow, you were saying? Uh, what were you saying? I don't... It was about the Al-Qaeda of... Yeah, so... Silicon Valley. This was probably in 08. We were described as uh, the Al-Qaeda of Silicon Valley. And I Michael think, Arrington, and who, I think, is, who has since disappeared into the shadows. Yeah, really, really uh, like gone a, underground. Like, yeah, like, who knows what he's doing. That's, and that's fine with me. I hope but, he's listening to this yeah, right now. He also um, he, he speculated that uh, Valley Wag would drive someone... To suicide. Because um, <laughs> they're so dramatic. Some of these Silicon Valley guys are so dramatic. And then so that was the reason why it shouldn't exist because yeah, someone yeah. was going to kill them. Well, I mean, know, I, kill, I think that's killed. a good reason why a lot of things, like for instance, if you think about writing a sad song, 
Right. And then you think about like, well, what if somebody hears a sad song and is so depressed by it that they kill themselves? Right. Maybe you should stop yourself from writing the if, sad song. If your startup is so bad that you kill yourself because it's been pointed out how bad it is, I, you know, I <laughs> might have been not entirely the fault of the reporter. Right. I think right. It is. Um, but but so, that that was so the you weren't part of the threat. first iteration of Valley Wag. The, I was the the most recent. Not no, the no, first. no. I'm saying not the first. Oh no, no. Yeah. So you were part of the third iteration, third or fourth? Okay, down the line. Yeah. And and was the mission any different? No, I mean because Valleywag has gone in and out of existence. Why can't Denton decide? Why can't he make up his mind on whether he wants Valleywag to exist? I, it, it's never a matter of that. I think it's that it's a hard job to do for more than uh, I did it for a year and a half, and I and I sort of had to. Stop. Did you find it emotionally taxing? Yeah, it's, it was extremely draining. You, I mean, you, you were sort of, uh, I think what's notable about you is that you found very personal stories, very like focused. You focus on people. Yes. Right? Like, um, I like characters. You like characters. Uh, uh, like Dave Morin's wife. Brit, the fabulous Brit. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Morin is the founder of Path. He was like what, one of the. I don't one even the, remember what that is now. One maybe. of the original, still in business, still in business. Yeah. he's a nice guy actually. I've never met, but him. Um, he's a lovely guy. Founder of Path, which has not been a success. No, and uh, you focused on his wife, who has a startup of some type. What does the startup do? Uh, what does it do? That, that's that's a hell of a question. Uh, they <laughs> well, startup must do something, yeah, right? It, it it was an arts and crafts startup that would sell you arts and crafts. Kits, arts and craft kits, oh, uh, where you like, can make you wanna, like if you want to become like a sculptor. It, it was like popsicle sticks and and oh. and washi tape and like you know you know the shit you see at like a, a really twee wedding as like a centerpiece. It, it was yeah. DIY kits for for that shit. Okay, um, which okay. which is nothing wrong with that. So nothing like, wrong like with DIY it. kits for like. Um, uh, this is not a good example, but like uh, you know how when during Christmas time people make those like. Uh, strings out of popcorn and put it around the tree. Would this be the kind of kit where they'd sell like a needle, thread, yes. and popcorn? Put it in a box and charge you twenty five dollars. Right. And they call it like what they call it like pop with an exclamation I'm mark. Sh- sure, or yeah. jingle pop. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and it's twenty five dollars. Yeah, and the company had millions they, of dollars in funding, which which is what got me. They pop the they would pop the popcorn for you. I think you had no. to pop it yourself. Yeah, I yeah, think they w- yeah. it wouldn't even be pre. We don't know. By the way, I want to. I just want to disclaimer. I don't know if they make a product that, like the one I'm describing. <laughs> I've never actually seen anything that the company makes. They but anyhow, you thought you 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 they felt, weren't as good as that. Even. You seemed to feel particularly um, bothered by Britt Morin's. I, it wasn't startup. even her. I mean, I'm sure she's a, a nice. <laughs> I've never met her. I'm sure she's a nice person. Uh, Most people are pretty nice. Although someone told me, someone who worked there once told me that there was a picture of me in the office that was not. Uh, not flattering. Oh, really? Like what? It, like it, in what? It's had like way. something written on it or something. I don't even know if that's oh, true. Like, they I'm told an me that. Yeah, something or... like that. I'm Sam Biddle. I yeah. suck. Yeah. Oof, uh, how mean. It, it DIY. Wow. It's like burn. the fat shaming they're doing right. at, uh, at uh, Lily Pulitzer or whoever. Right? Is that who, is that the brand? Where? Isn't there a brand? Oh, yeah. They, 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 had jump, they make jumpsuits. Yes. Is it Lily Pulitzer? Uh, Lily Pulitzer. Pulitzer. They, they, had, they had fat shaming in their office. Right. They had like pictures of- On the fridge. Yeah, on the fridge. Yeah, to discourage snacks. Anyway, they- um. Yeah, that was uh, I'm very uncool. <laughs> Anyhow, so you have a similar picture of you at Brit Morton Startup, like which is called Brit and Co. Brit and Co. Okay, and and Simple. look, I don't have anything against crafting. I think that it's a, a fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, it, it's a. It's You're probably a, doing a lot of crafting in Fallout Four. I, not as much as I should be. Yeah, tell me about um, it. Tough to find those materials. Yeah. Anyhow, it, there was nothing wrong. Yeah, this was this was like my whole thing with Valley Wag and Silicon Valley in general. There's nothing wrong with having. 
uh, with, with getting your friends together and doing crafting kits and shit. And if you want to do that, that's great. But then taking millions of dollars from venture capitalists who are giving you millions of dollars to sell boxes of junk to people for $25 yeah. just yeah. seems like an inefficient way for the American economy to function. I don't know. I mean, it Take sounds disruptive. Take that $7 million. Sounds right. disruptive to me. <laughs> Take that $7 million. I mean, people million have been going to Michael's. People have been going to Michael's for how many years? And now finally, the whole kit's delivered to their door. Right. I think yeah. my problem with this idea is like, I feel like there's something better you could do if you could send somebody like the thing I just mentioned where it's like, oh, you want to learn to sculpt? Like we'll send you the kit that's like the the clay and like a stand and a guide and some other like that's actually kind of cool or like a painting kit. This wasn't crazy. This is not all. like yeah. that. It, it was more like paint by numbers or yeah. something. And I, 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 I the thing that that never changed as long as I was writing at Valleywag was that the ideas never stopped being dumb and they never stopped being rewarded. There was no right. correlation between goodness or smartness of an yeah. idea or yeah. cleverness or originality and money. The the money would keep landing with people who had shit ideas that right. were not viable to be companies. You don't well in your opinion. In okay, my, you're not in a VC. My, uh, you don't work at Google Ventures. I, I wish I were a VC. It'd be the easiest job <laughs> I, in I the fucking world. I think you'd be amazing. I think you'd be an amazing VC. I, you know, so, have you has nobody ever reached out to you and said like, come and be a this VC? This might shock you, but no, no one really. Yet. You know, because I feel like with a critical eye, like I think this, I wouldn't be the worst VC. I think I actually wouldn't be the worst VC. I've, yeah. I've joked about uh, with uh, my friend uh, Mike Isaac, who works at uh, I love the Mike. New York Times. Great guy. Great, uh, uh, he's a spokesperson for Charmin. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> he's he's um, sponsored by Charmin, from what I he understand. Is. He's actually a big Charmin shill. Uh, yeah. But when we're ready to sell out, that'll be that'll be the route. We'll go. You uh, and Mike are going to become VCs. Yeah. Maybe now, Mike, I could, hard, I, yeah. Mike, I could see very easily becoming a VC. Right. Because not because he seems like a you know VC type or whatever, but he hasn't made a career out of uh, sh- attacking people or they, anything. Like he has. He still has friends there. Uh, I think he's very good at what he does, but. He's not like um, publicly shaming Britt Morin or anything for her bad ideas. Well, you know, I wouldn't even call it shaming. <laughs> All right, maybe shaming is the wrong word. I, you know, if 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 she felt ashamed, that's that's different. But um, you know, I was just saying this is a dumb company, and that's okay. But what isn't okay is, is the 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 adulatory press coverage and the millions of dollars in venture funds. I see that. I agree with. I think that's a, that's a like. I think that the. the one of the biggest problems, in, at least in t- the tech world, and like having really seen this from from inside, and also been having been part of a startup, you know, and knowing what the climate is like in a startup, and uh, there is like it, it really is a problem that that we don't we aren't producing more extremely critical reporters and thinkers in the media. Like I just think that in that space in particular, there's a tremendous amount of control that's still exerted by companies. Uh, and in the big companies and then with the smaller companies, there's like, there is this kind of, we're all in this together vibe that you like find with a lot of the reporters. I mean, I know a lot of really good reporters who don't feel that way, but there's plenty, there's a hundred for every one really good one. There's a hundred who are like, yeah, I'm coming to your party. Like, let's get drinks. Like, and you know, they don't know where the schmooze line ends and where the reporting line begins. There was, there was someone at TechCrunch. I I forget who it was and it might've been more than once. Um, but there's the ethos there is that they uh, support they, they are a pro startup yeah. publication and and they say that as 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 something to be proud of right. um you, you know, can be you can 
be pro the idea of startups without being pro specifically startups. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine, uh, you know, the uh, the business section of the Times or the or any any newspaper saying, you know, we we're a we're a, a pro oil sector right paper. Right. We, you know, we can still be impartial, but, but we we we're pro oil company. But startups. But here, let me just. I'm going to challenge you a little bit, and then I want to take a break. I'm going to challenge you a little bit and say, startup oil is like an industry. The startup industry is actually not an industry like as a, a – I mean, there's like Uber, which is a transportation company, right? right? They're in competition with taxis and subways and whatever else, right? right? I mean, the startup world as an as a well, – how should I put this? As a cultural uh, movement is definitely a thing, like as a, as yes. a cultural space where there's a certain type of culture – but startups themselves are really just small businesses. Sure. The idea is like they're modern small businesses. Most of them are based around the use of technology to um, to like push that business forward or beyond what people have done in a, a similar sector. Right. So like there are pure – you can look at things that as like very pure startups. Like Color would be one. Yes. Do you remember Color? Of course. I was banned from Color on the first day. People don't people don't remember Color maybe that well. I think about it all the time. It's it's, it's it was, an incredible story. It was funded to the tune of like forty million dollars. Yeah. I think it even had like several rounds of funding yes. that brought it to that number. The idea was it was a photo app where you could be at a place and take pictures with other people, and it would aggregate them all. Actually, is like, that what it was? I literally I, think I don't what remember. It did. I think that's what it did. It's like you would take pictures. You'd all be at a concert. Like not you all. Like yeah. everybody would be at a concert. You would take pictures. And you'd upload them to color and then it would like aggregate them and be like, oh, look, everybody's at this event. Here's yeah. all the stuff. Now, weirdly, it turned out that all you need to do is like turn on geolocation and right. Instagram or any other photo app and it does exactly the same thing. Yes. So that might have been the problem with their with their premise. But they raised $40 million. They had a huge launch at South by Southwest. It was yes. like it was also kind of like Yo. Remember Yo? Of course. I was like, that was going to be a thing. Yo, Yo was a, a turning point uh, for me. Secret. Yes, Secret was going to be a thing. That was you know what? Big. I liked Secret, uh, but Secret, I, Secret was silly. Uh, it, but yeah, that that also the problem uh, with Secret is anybody. Fizzled. The problem with Secret is anybody can game Secret. You can literally put anything you want on Secret, and it becomes just basically real. Sure, and and well, we've also seen more recently how something like Yik Yak, which is basically the same premise, can be extremely toxic. Right. Uh, well, obviously, uh, yeah. But um, but anyhow, but that's like a. I think the colors are really like pure startup. It's in like squarely oh. in the tech space, totally like a, just yes. a mobile app. But still, like it's a f- photography application of some right. type or whatever. But um, I don't know why I got off topic. No, I, I, like, I, you were saying that. Uh, that oh right, these so, are so, small like, businesses. so like you can imagine. So you can imagine like I can imagine the business section of the New York Times saying we're pro small business or like we're pro business. Let's just say that. Like, I mean, I think we, I think, we, we even think that's a problem. Business is like, do you? I think that's a problem. But you have to be you have to accept that like business has some value, both positive and negative. I guess it really should be you're right. I mean, you really have to say like we're pro and anti-business. You, like you can, essentially you want to be in the middle. I think I think that the business section of a newspaper can say we acknowledge that business is is a mandatory part of modern of the modern world and the functioning of society. Right. We're not pro, saying you're pro I business. Pro, yeah, means you're right. You, I think it's problematic. You're, you're, you want to further business. Uh, I guess know. I'm thinking like I guess I'm kind of putting myself in the mind on the head in the in the headspace of people who would be working in the business section of the New York Times. And I'm right. thinking like those people love business. Well, you know, they love like, covering business. They love covering business. I don't think you know Mike Isaac or someone else would say he he loves, no, he loves business. He loves business. <laughs> he loves business. He loves doing business. And yeah, he loves he's, business. he's a mover and shaker. He's but a hustler. You, you, I don't. I don't think the people who love covering and reporting on businesses 
would describe themselves necessarily, maybe some would, yeah. as pro-business. Yeah, you're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. Pro-startup is not how I would, it's not a term I would want to use to describe my startup coverage. I can tell right. you that. Yeah. Because that just basically says you're going to lean more towards favorable coverage yeah. than you would right. if you were had a very neutral yeah. viewpoint, which is like, well, we'll see. And you can, it's not to say you can't think a certain startup is cool as shit. Yeah. You can, you can say, what's I your favorite is, startup? Uh, Ship. What is that? S-H-Y-P. What is uh, it? They will come to your house. You take a picture. Let's say I want to, uh, let's say my buddy who lives in uh, Seattle leaves a pair of shoes in my house. He's mm-hmm. staying with me for the weekend in New York. I take a picture of those shoes. Someone comes to my apartment, takes the shoes, boxes them up, ships them. In front of you? No. <laughs> They're there for an uncomfortable amount of time. No, they they take them. What if you like? What if you like to like a weed? You're sending weed to Colorado. You could. I I mean, I don't don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to use it for weed. Sorry, I cut you (laughs) off, but you were saying you were saying uh, it. Well, because look, going to the post office really sucks. Um, And uh, no, before that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you were making a point about startup uh, business coverage. Oh, business coverage. Uh, I, I, I think that you can be you, you can you can say uh, I think this startup is great. That doesn't mean that you're pro startup. You can you can, and it's good to have opinions. I I don't think that you you have to be non opinionated. You can say these people are doing cool work and interesting work, and these people are are garbage and they're they don't deserve twenty million dollars from right. Peter Thiel. Uh, Just think about all the money that's been wasted. I th- I think about all about that of the lot. money. Has anybody calculated all of the startups that have failed and how much money has been spent on them? It's billions it's, it's, and billions. That's a good, billions that's a good article idea. And then yeah. imagine if you just put it in like the S and P five hundred and yeah, yeah. just invested in, <laughs> yeah. in or if you just like put it into education in America yeah. or just fed starving people or literally just burned it or I mean, like it or been... like gave homeless people a place to live. Yeah, I mean anyhow, that's a okay. I want to take a break. Okay, and then we'll be right back with more Sam Biddle. How we missed it, no one knows. But now, Nikki Tomlin, a PhD in linguistics from the University of Chicago, is working on deciphering it with a team of cryptologists at a research think tank called Cypher. Linguistics scholar Tomlin is trying to decode a message received from outer space 70 years ago, we think. The Message is the new podcast from GE Podcast Theater and Panoply, which follows Nikki's work. The new eight-episode podcast series will blow your scientific mind. It will also blow your regular mind, just for the record. This new sci-fi series will blur the lines between reality and fiction, just as the famous War of the Worlds radio broadcast did almost 80 years ago. Though, hopefully no one will jump out of a window when they hear this broadcast. Through Nikki Tomlin's reports and interviews, we slowly learn more about what this mysterious message from outer space contains. Are we 70 years too late on deciphering the message? Why did the aliens reach out to us? Where am I? And who's the president? Don't miss out on any of these details. Subscribe to this new modern day War of the Worlds podcast from GE Podcast Theater and Panoply called The Message. You can do it on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Again, that's The Message from GE Podcast Theater and Panoply. Subscribe today on iTunes or your favorite app. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're bad with money, you're bad at investing. Nobody should have ever let you get anywhere near money to invest. But luckily, there's a better way. Wealthfront.com is a better way. You can sign up in just minutes and Wealthfront goes right to work, monitoring your portfolios around the clock and taking action as soon as opportunity arises. It's basically taking all of the responsibility of investing out of your hands because as I've just stated, you're a dangerous investor and you need help, serious professional help, the kind that only Wealthfront.com can provide. 
With Wealthfront, you pay less than $5 a month to invest a $30,000 account, and you don't have to have much to get started either. You know, you can open an account with as little as 500 bucks. So even if you've squandered most of the money that you had in your poor, uh, haphazard investment tactics, you can still uh, get going with Wealthfront. Tens of thousands of people across the country have signed up already. In fact, Wealthfront manages over $2.6 billion in client assets, and it's grown over 20 times in the past two years. Go to Wealthfront.com slash tomorrow to see your free personalized investment portfolio. You'll see the customized allocation they recommend for your profile. And just for tomorrow listeners, if you sign up to invest, Wealthfront will manage your first 15 grand entirely free of charge for life. That means in addition to never paying commissions or any hidden fees, you also won't pay any management fees to have that first $15,000 invested. Claim your offer today at Wealthfront.com slash tomorrow. For compliance purposes, I have to tell you that Wealthfront Incorporated is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. I'm back with Sam Biddle. Uh, We were just talking about the... uh, Startup world, the startup his, world. His hatred for it. His hatred well, you know, for all it, startups, it's, it's, except uh, for Ship, <laughs> who's not a sponsor. I just want to say, no, not yet. you're not. No, I invested I have, in Ship. Are you? I have zero uh, financial stake. Have I've, I've only spent startups. money on them. Oh, really? I have never. You know, my four hundred one k might have oh. tech companies in it. I have no idea. Well, actually, I, I'm very financially uh, or investment ignorant. So I don't, I'm not even sure what's in my four hundred one k. Yeah, that's. Welcome to the club. Yeah, I'm uh, like. I mean, I, I literally have a person who does that for me because I don't understand. I don't know anything about money. Yeah, I'm very bad with it. Uh, generally speaking, same for myself. Right. But anyhow, so so value wag went away. So it's very. We're just like doing your background now. But I think sure. you know what. In, in the midst of that, we're having a really interesting conversation. Yeah. But so value wag went away, and then uh, and now you're just our gawker guy. It, it went away in in not just a gawker guy. Well, I, you know, it's the, it's the Gawker for, guy. for nine hours of the day. That's what I do. Uh, you're 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 one of the most controversial figures at Gawker. You you think so? You've created a lot of uh, passion around your stories. I'm passionate. You're a passionate guy. I'm a passionate, you're a passionate I'm a guy, passionate and you guy. trigger passionate feelings in other people. Yeah. Well, you know, like for instance, the Gamergate community. Yes, the, that's, you trigger passionate feelings are, in in getting the Gamergate. They are community. passionate. They are definitely uh, passionate. There have been other instances. Uh, some I can't name. Some I can't talk about. You know, the, the, the I can think of some, but I don't want to, you know, drag you through <laughs> a painful. I, I appreciate. I don't want to have to recap all of the painful experiences. But you, really I don't been, have. I don't have therapy until Thursday, so I'd rather. I, do you, know, you have therapy on Thursday? This Thursday, I, do, I need yeah. to get a therapist. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I'll set you up. And maybe can, I should talk to your guy. <laughs> yeah, like, like as a group, yeah. you just do like couples therapy yeah. with your with your. Person. That should be a thing. Couples therapy people, for, for, for just people. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, um, but but no, but like you actually, I, I just want to say, like I had a thing. I've talked about this now like six times in the podcast because it's so fresh in my mind. But I tweeted something about guns a couple of weeks ago, or a couple months I, ago, I a month ago. What you're talking and like about. for 24 hours, I was like attacked by gun nuts because yeah. of which is the scariest because of Nero, group. because of Nero, and yeah. a bunch of other dipshits on like who are like phony right wing whatever they but are. Gun people are, are gun people are scary. scary. My, yeah. And like they actually they prove, have guns. <laughs> They have have guns and like it was a really my favorite one and I've already said this so if you've heard this already on the podcast I apologize for talking about it but I just this one I think was like I I felt was such a strange bastardization of my anti-gun tweet. Mm -hmm. I have like a few women I think this is like definitely like these are either bots or they're like being sent it's like some kind of weird 
level of uh, it's like a weird propaganda coming from the NRA or something. Women who were like, don't tell me that I can't use a gun to defend myself against rape. Right. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah. It's like, so I'm pro-rape. Right. Basically, you the are. argument is you, like, that's what you're you pro-rape yeah. if you're anti-gun. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's kind of not, that doesn't really work. Look, I'm I'm against nuclear war, which means I endorse a scenario in which someone gets raped because they couldn't drop a nuke on the rapist, you know? That's, or that's, because they weren't killed by a nuclear right. weapon. The amount of work that goes into uh, finding counter-argument, insane counter-arguments yeah, yeah. Is, is dizzying. And then I also had, there was, it was good, it's like I had people who were anti-Semitic who were like, you know, like, you know, you Jew or something like that. And then I had people who were well, like... Well, you gotta have a, like had, an anti-Semitic guy. Yeah. Then, but then there were people who were like, we gotta defend Israel using guns or something. And it was yeah. like, whoa, both It's amazing extremes. how much the, the crazy people There's agree so with each other. There's so much diversity. They agree. Yeah. They, they really agree so much. Uh, people don't realize how much diversity there is in groups of people who are totally insane yeah. about issues, you know? Yeah. From all walks of life. But, mm-hmm. but what I was gonna say is that you have been certainly targeted by groups... Sure. For saying things that, or writing things that they didn't like. Sure. Um, does does this make you? I mean, to me, I've I, I've never been in a situation where like you know, four chan was like doxing my home address and like mm-hmm. sending me you know letter bombs or whatever the four chan guys do. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, four chan guys, big fan of your work. Love yeah. what you do. Good. Keep doing. Keep on keeping on. We keep love fighting, you. Keep fighting the good fight. You're awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you are you like? Do you ever fear like? actual physical repercussions for the stuff that you write because you Um, because you sometimes pull punches sometimes um i mean it only takes one really crazy person right um and to end you yeah right (laughs) and and i'm pretty weak i'd be pretty easy to kill yeah you're not you're not a fighter right like what am i gonna what am i gonna uh, do i mean i can tell you now i know sam (laughs) i'm sitting across from sam easy to wrestle me to the floor if you want from a physical standpoint he's not an intimidating character i'm wearing wearing a sweater if you're thinking about targeting him for a physical attack i can tell you you won't have a fight you won't have anybody put up a fight against you i'd yield Um, he'll yield and do whatever you ask him to do i think Uh, look i mean i i look i i'm not like uh, the people who have it the worst are uh, are women on the internet who, who are receiving actual credible threats of violence oh, yeah. and and harm. Oh yeah, uh, I I have I have nothing that can compare to that. I mean, there um, isn't there is an unmitigated piece of humanity that exists now on the internet that is like white male rage that is largely directed at women. Certainly, yep. people of color yep. uh, are getting it a bit. I mean. I mean, I felt I, this is, I've said this again, I've said it before, but I felt like I understood for a, for a brief moment what it would be like for a woman on the internet who's even remotely outspoken or not even outspoken, who just thinks that they're like living their life on the internet. Like I felt like I understood it for 24 hours. Like this is how bad it it could be, or maybe just like the beginning of it. I mean, there is something like, to me, that seems like one of the biggest, most like confusing problems that we have right now in terms of how people behave with each other. Like, I, I worry that the internet will will stop being functional to a certain extent, it, it, or, or it will become less functional in a really profound way because it will be just so toxic. Like, you won't be able to say anything without getting a death threat. You won't be able to have an yeah, event without you, having a bomb how do you threat. Fight, how do you fight that? I, I have no fucking clue. I, it, I think that Twitter is pretty lax about how they... Twitter's uh, terrible. They, I, mean, I mean, Twitter's terrible. There, There's no recourse when you're being attacked by people. If they Twitter. have their... Um, their food budget and shout out to the Twitter cafeteria. I ate there once it was delicious. Really? But if wow, they, listen to that. Yeah, uh, or, disclosure. 
<laughs> Sam Biddle taking handouts uh, from Twitter. On the take. Um, what did you have when you were there? I actually oh think God. I think I might have eaten there once I was because meeting. I was talking to a, a I was working on a story. Yeah, same. They I were was like, can we have lunch in the Twitter cafeteria? You That's can, how they get you there. They have they have once you have there. once you have the lunch and they're like, hey, right, free food, right. Uh, now, you're on, now you're on our payroll. But if, if they took part of that money and and hired a, uh, a larger staff of people to block people who are threatening violence, moderate. yeah, to, to moderate. I think they need. I think they need a button. I I highly suggest they have a button which is like block everybody who's following this person. Oh yeah. Like, like, because if you were a block, to, they're block bots you can use. Yeah, but they don't really, they're not, you need like a one click solution, which is like, well, yeah. block or mute all followers of this person for five days. Well, you know, I think that Twitter doesn't want to add robust blocking features because then they're admitting that they have a right. largely toxic right. user base, which is the case. But also, like, you know, well, also, <laughs> the more people who get banned, the fewer, right. you know, fewer monthly, active users you have. Like, they need those active users rolling in. Like, Twitter's in a tough position because they're, they're struggling on Wall Street with uh, stagnant growth. But on the other hand, they, you know, have to keep blocking uh, ISIS members. So, like, you know, right. they, they, uh, it's a tough it's, spot. It's, it's a, spot. a seriously tough you know, spot. You know, what's weird? What's interesting is, like, what's interesting is that Facebook doesn't, I mean, Facebook is a cesspool in another way. Yeah. I mean, if you, like, look at, like, I look at my Facebook comments sometimes, and which I hardly ever do, they've actually reduced the presence of those comments so much that it's very much an afterthought in yeah. a lot of ways. Like, it, to me, it's like YouTube. Right. I look at YouTube videos all the time. I never read YouTube comments. YouTube comments are, are, I, Either YouTube or CNN are literally the worst. Sometimes I try to rank them in my head of which are the worst on the entire internet. All I think anything politically, anything like that's actually political. Like I did a column for the Washington Post for a while. Those comments were insane. Really, like really crazy. It yeah. was like part one. It was like outraged people who were trolls on the internet. Then there was like also a lot of old angry yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. who were just like did not get it. But they once picked up a story of mine. Uh, Reason once picked up a story of mine that I'd written uh, for the post about yeah. socializing wireless. And uh, those comments, then you're in trouble. Those comments were really choice. <laughs> yeah, they I'm were sure. really really special. Right. Um, but like Reason, that's actually one of the more middle of the road publications by comparison now to yeah. like Breitbart. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean the 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 distance between Breitbart and Stormfront is like, you know, a, a which is like a, a I think Stormfront's writing is actually a lot better. Right. To be honest it's with you. Like just like two degrees away from uh, Stormfront from is like a Nazi is a Nazi. Yeah, like yeah. white supremacist neo Nazi yeah, website. Cool. Hey listen, you know uh, Stormfront they're free you know freedom of speech they're entitled to their opinion. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Breitbart has a better layout. And their beautiful writing. Breitbart I don't. I don't think. I don't know. I can't even recall having um, gone to. Uh, I mean, maybe on my phone. I guess. Yeah. I try not to visit Breitbart. Right. You know, like generally <laughs> speaking. Yeah. And when people hear that, I think when people hear that, they're like, "Oh, you don't want to hear the other issue, the other side's issues," you know. And it's like, ah, I want to hear like people on the other side of these issues who can make an argument that doesn't sound insane. To me. Yeah. Like, and I mean, yeah. like, I'm accepting. Like, I will listen to a pro-life argument. I think there's merit in the argument. I understand why people would say it. I think there are people who make a very reasoned and impassioned argument for being pro-life. Now, I disagree with them, but then there are like – Breitbart. Then they're I mean, like Breitbart. Dialogue, dialogue is, is is over is overrated. I mean, there are a lot of people whose side I just have zero interest yeah. in hearing. And if you're on Breitbart writing articles about the scourge of black on white crime uh, and and how uh, you know uh, uh, homophobia is a myth, and like I don't I don't want to hear from you. I, I, I can't. You're help invalidated. I can't help but feel that. Yeah, I mean, there really is like some of these things are just like you don't sound like you're part of this reality. Yeah, you can just like you can just, disqualify yourself. You're just not. But I mean, I think this is actually like when I when I 
read and think about like the way ISIS reacts to modern society and what they think and what they are what their trip is i have the same reaction i think there is some like there is some connective tissue between the extreme right and you know on the same bright bar but certainly there are certain there are components of it and and the way that like extremists think like muslim extremists think you know i think i I, most of it is just like anti-modernity i think that's like the main thing it's like anti-modernity is anti the march of of um, society, it's, it's so fearful. Yeah. It, it's so the, the idea yeah, of, xenophobic of and insular. creeping progress. Yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, uh, it, it, they're very um, the, the internet right is is terrified of um, anything that resembles reform. You know? It's so weird too because it's fairly obvious to me that like despite all of the conservatives and, and right wing's best efforts, like the future is. More liberal, more progressive, more open, more caring, less judgmental. I mean, all of it is moving in that direction. Like right. this generation is not going to go backwards now. Like you're not going to go back to some like it would take a lot. Yeah, it would take a lot. Yeah. Um, and on that point, I think we should talk about Fallout Four, <laughs> the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about an apocaly- apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. So, are you like a big gamer? I am. I am a yes. <laughs> Just, just what you, what yes. You, what's, what's the last game that you finished? Uh, I'm so I'm bad at finishing them. Uh, I get like ninety. I'm like ninety percent through Witcher three, which oh, is just so game. long I that I that couldn't game. finish. I liked it, but I just what's good about it? I don't understand. I, I like tried the, to play it. It's like just like the story. The horse was always getting stuck on things. What's the story? I don't even know. I what finished the story Arkham is. Arkham uh, Knight. Yeah, I played a, a bit of that. I finished that one. I played the beginning of that. It was fun. I, 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 I've been playing Assassin, the new Assassin's Creed. I hate Assassin's Creed. Uh, I've always very frustrating. Assassin. None of those games ever worked for me for some reason. I just say I never got into it. Yeah, I don't know why. Fallout Four has been great so far. It, it is the same game as Fallout Three. It's literally it identical. Is. The graphics are a little bit better. I'm not, like I would need to see a side by side. No, no, I'm telling you. <laughs> trust me. Like people don't remember like the, the 360 graphics yeah. or if the the PS3. Yeah. Are you a PS3? Okay. Yeah. So are you and, playing and now four? Yeah, yeah, four. Okay. Um, I of course have both because I've got to have you know every fucking thing. Playing both at once. Uh, yeah, I play. I have two TVs <laughs> and I get them up side by right. side. No, but the graphics are better. Okay? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but they are the same kind of graphics. It's not yes. like wow, they've got a whole new engine. For instance, Far Cry. Do you play Far Cry? Oh yeah. Far Cry three and four are like stunning, beautiful. Like there are times that like in Far Cry three and four. Well, I'm playing four now a bit in three. This was very true. I played for hours. Yeah. I like any game where you can walk around and not do anything, which is very true of Fallout and Far Cry. Yes. I think they have a lot in common. Yeah. Um, there are moments in Far Cry where I'm like, I just want to look at this scenery because it's so beautiful and so interesting. I, I, there haven't been a lot of moments like that in Fallout. The Fallout games are ugly. And, and, and I guess that they're part coarse. of it, they're coarse. Like part of it that is that it's like an ugly world, right? Like it's yeah. a nuke post nuclear graveyard. But like you know, the faces all look kind of shitty. Yeah. And but these are st- these are also sort of st- like charming staples of the franchise, right? I mean, that it it's like is, rough around the edges. It is, yeah, rough around the edges is definitely how I describe it. I mean, it's definitely like, I mean, I want in all in all games, I want the graphics to be as realistic as possible. Like oh, my yeah. dream, my dream is like that the game looks so real that I like it looks like a photo. You know what I hate the like eight bit retro fad oh, in, in indie games oh i like it i like the aesthetic, for certain games. i like the aesthetic but they're i give me like the, the number of ps4 titles 
that are like hearkening back to yeah, yeah. SNES. Give me something that looks fucking incredible. A lot of nostalgia. I paid four hundred dollars for yeah. this console. Yeah, give me something that that blows my mind. Well, away. that's all the AAA games are like the ones that are supposed to blow like your mind. Alien Isolation, unbelievable, Inc- yeah, unbelievable. Incredible. I, I couldn't play for more than two hours. So but, yeah. yeah, I actually am literally at the end of almost at the end of that game. Finally, yeah. I've been playing it for like well, how long has it been out? A year. Something like I've that. been playing it for a really long time. It's one of the best looking games. In dribs and drabs, unbelievable. Yeah. Looks really. That's a game where sometimes I'm just admiring the scenery. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this just looks awesome. I do think that 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 you're not going to get. I mean, most indie developers don't have the resources to produce that kind of game. Sure. I mean, that I think that requires a lot of um, manpower. Yeah, you know, really. And some do, some do look good, but very rarely. But Fallout does kind of look like it almost does look like an indie game. Yeah, in a lot no, of ways. It, it looks like a mod of like a different game or something. I don't, but yeah. I love it. I love it. There's I, something charming I, about it. I, but it's, exactly. it is buggy. I mean, it's like when you talk to buggy people, the shit. camera's like pointing in the wrong direction. Or I had like, a, I had a conversation with a guy, and his back was turned to me the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I, that happens all the time. Right. It's like they're like we're going to set a lot of this on autopilot. And it's just going to work. And 90, right. 80% of the time it works. But what what about it is, is good? I, I, I can't, what do you mean? I love what the game. What about Fallout 4 no, no, is good? No, but what, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint what about... It's so easy to point out the bugs and yeah. the flaws. Yeah. But it's hard for me to explain why I love playing it so much and why it's so fun and why I get sucked. I, I play until my eyes yeah, ache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I just spend so much time thinking about it and playing it. Well, I haven't spent as much time as I want because... I have a life, but, but, but I'm like, I get like ready in the evenings. Like yeah. when we put Zelda to bed, I'm like, all right, right. it's, time. it's right. time to play Fallout. What, you is, know? what is it? What pulls I you think, in? So here's what I think. Well, I'm going to just, this is me just spitballing. Yeah. I don't actually know. So first off, I think that um, it has a really charming, like the art direction of it is really charming. All that 50s yeah. stuff and yep. like the Pip-Boy and Definitely. all the like the weird like atomic yeah. age shit. Like I think it just did a really good job of painting this like universe of the kind of like the optimism of America, 19, right. 1950s America, taken to this like kind of logical, Space horrible age, yeah. conclusion. Uh, I think that is very charming. And it feels like a very realized world. Like all of the parts of it feel like something you can imagine having happened, totally having yeah. been created. I also think, like for me, um, there's just enough story to make it to keep you moving forward without so much story that you feel like you're playing somebody else's game right you know like a lot of games it's like oh okay you know like even in alien isolation yeah there are moments where you are not in control at all and major sure. things are happening you're like okay i'm good this is just happening now yeah. fallout never really feels that way it almost never feels that way i also think for me personally and this is just i'm totally riffing i've never thought about that i mean i've thought about it a little bit but i think there's something to this idea that the game feels especially the new version ridiculously open-ended yeah. like it's basically minecraft now. right i mean the stuff that where you can build these like villages and yeah. you can like hook up power and do i mean i was like at first i was like this is stupid like i was I ready to ignore this. it I, yeah. I i was sort of yeah. mad but then as soon as you start like seeing that there's oh you have these goals and you need right. to like get people put people to work and then you can like get power going and then like right. you can get houses like lit up and you're like oh it actually looks kind of nice in this neighborhood now right and you're like wow i'm building a community out in the wasteland i think there is like the vastness of it uh, with all of those like little story points to keep you moving, it's like you can play for hours and never touch a story, right. or you can go straight through it. And do, I think that has a lot to do with. It. I think Far Cry is like that, yes. where it feels like it's very Minecrafty in that way, which is like you create your own narrative. Yeah, you know, and I love that about it. I spent, I mean, I played Fallout Three like religiously and then beat it. 
and then save the game right before I beat it and would go and play like I would like wait to finish the game and do all these other things <laughs> that I hadn't done and yeah. then like beat it again. Yeah. So I, I I feel like also Fallout Three had kind of an amazing story. I mean, I don't know if you remember. Fallout 3 was more immediately impressive. I don't know if you remember, like, the oh, whole yeah. thing with the AI. Yeah. And, like, that shit was fucking cool. Yeah. And I do feel like Fallout 4 now has this thing with these Sims. Yeah. Which is, they're basically like Terminators. Yeah. They're like Terminator zombies. Right. Which I'm, like, pretty psyched on. Sure. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah. just think it's like, I just think it's like a, it's a well-written, well-directed game. But I also think that the openness of it is... I don't know. To the me, the sound effects are great. They're very I love good. the fucking cash register sound when you yeah. get XP. But that's like, exactly what I'm talking like, about. It's those <laughs> those little details that yeah. make it that give it more character. It's like games. Most games are like, oh yeah, you have a gun. You're walking around. Right. You're shooting things. Like it's true in Fallout, but there's so many other things that you can do. I remember the first time I played Fallout Three, and you go into this village. You remember the village that's like right outside the vault, Megaton, Megaton, and I like killed a ton of people in Megaton. You remember <laughs> you're, you're, you're you real like, psychopath. You could like kill a kid in Fallout Three. There was a big yeah. controversy. You right. could kill children in yeah. it, and they like took that out of the game. Right. But yeah, like you like go to you know I went into this bar and the guy was like you know talking to the guy in the bar and then like, I was like you know what I'm just gonna kill this guy <laughs> and it totally changes the game yeah like you become this like bad guy in the town right. I mean to me that's like a cr- an amazing experience most games never give you that option do you be are you a bad guy in no, games? no 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 not I'm no. always a real angel in video games and I'm I'm so I try to be, by that I try to be really good like, yeah I try to do the things that I think are right and that not that the game wants you to do but the things that would that I think I would do in those situations yeah. like I try to play pretty true to myself and no but I think what happened in, in Megaton is that I didn't fully understand when I first got the game like what you could do <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to kill this guy. And then, like, I killed him. And then it, like, started this huge shootout with other people. Right. And I had to, like, kill them because they were shooting at me. Yeah. And then, like, I actually spent a lot of time trying to work my karma off because mm-hmm. you get bad karma for that. They, they don't have that in this one, do they? Yeah, they do. Karma? I think so. Do they not? I don't. I haven't seen no, it. No, I think they do. If they uh, don't, I'm very disappointed. Yeah. You can still be a, a real piece of shit if you want to. Oh, I'm sure you can. Yeah. I'm sure. But I'm playing. I'm, I'm going to be a good guy. I want to be I want to be beloved in the wasteland. <laughs> that's my that's my goal. I'm so desperate for for affirmation and approval yeah, that, that I want yeah. it in Fallout 4. I like, want to like my hope is that like I can, you know, settle down, establish a family, maybe you know, get a virtual maybe, Zelda. Maybe get like get a virtual Zelda, maybe get like a, some kind of business going, you know, right. somewhere like I don't know some kind of you know making weapons for people yeah, or something. Yeah. I'm 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 a little annoyed about the power armor situation. The fact that they gave it to you at right the very the bat, beginning yeah. was, was and like the, underwhelming. you keep looking for the fusion core. It's like, dude, I don't. I'm like running out of power, and then yeah. I gotta like abandon the suit. Well, did you play Fallout One or Two? No. So it was always like a really big deal to get the power armor, right? And when you ran into it, you were like, "Holy shit, these people are invincible!" Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, they totally reversed that. Yeah. But I haven't really. You used get it, it like towards the end of Fallout Three. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think you become. I don't know if there's a choice, but you can become a memberhood of the Brotherhood of Steel. Yeah. Yeah, they've already offered um, me that. I'm like three hours. Did I say in. memberhood of the memberhood brother? of the brother? Did I say memberhood? No. <laughs> I got what you're saying. A member of the brotherhood of steel is what I meant. Maybe I didn't say that. All right, listen, we need to wrap up. We're well over the time that I thought we would spend on this um, podcast. I will talk about Fallout Four with you for the next twelve hours. I think we will be talking about it after we leave yes. this room. But anyhow, Sam, this is uh, this is great. I actually really not actually like I'm surprised. <laughs> Surprisingly, you know, I thought yeah. this would suck. <laughs> You know, I didn't have. I didn't get my hopes up. Low but, expectations uh, coming into this. Yeah, exactly. No, this was a lot of fun, and you have to come back. I would love you to come to the studio. We don't have to do it at a remote. Uh, I like this bedroom setup. This to be is a kind of nice. <laughs> we're actually in. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but we're in the bedroom. Somebody's staying in this room who is a uh, 
fairly well-known journalist with floral print uh, bedspread. Yeah, it's nice in here. It's lovely. I'm trying to think of. A, I was trying to think of like one of these like columnists from like the '90s, the very syndicated columnist. I'm like a fairly well-known journalist, and I want to say like who's like a really well-known, really like Miss Manners, no, like, like Miss Manners, Ann Landers, or, or no, there's like a guy who's the guy, Dave Barry, Dave Barry, Dave Barry. Actually, Dave Barry stayed in this room. We're in Dave Barry's We're in Dave bedroom. Barry's room, yeah. but he's a pretty messy, pretty messy guy. Actually, all right, Sam, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate my it. pleasure. Uh, all right, well, that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Uh, although it's going to be tough to make it out there in the wasteland without power armor.